As you watch this teaching, please subscribe, like, and comment so more people can see. Welcome to Home Group. My name is Rick Renner, and I want to say thank you for letting us come right into your space tonight. And the we is me and Denise Renner and Paul Renner and Joel Renner. Hi, guys. Hi, Rick. Welcome, Home Group. We're so glad you're with us. Aren't you enjoying listening to this about the Holy Spirit? I'm enjoying this so much, Rick. Last night was really good. Last night we were talking about the movement of the Holy Spirit. Paul? That's right. I made a lot of notes. Even during our home group, sometimes I get so excited about what my father's teaching that I start writing notes for myself. So I recommend during the home group to get a pen and paper. Don't just watch the home group. Take every opportunity to learn while we're talking about these important things. Amen. You know, Paul, I really did enjoy the home group also yesterday. I was thinking about Samson and how the Holy Spirit came on him. Moved on him. Moved on him mm-hmm. so many times. And I was thinking about when there were times in the Old Testament, I'm reading the Old Testament right now, when the Holy Spirit didn't move. And there was a tragedy in Israel. And when the Holy Spirit arrived and moved again, it, it's truly, it was, it was like salvation to the nation. Joel, what are you reading in the Bible right now? Right now I'm reading Second Kings. Paul, what are you reading? Uh, this morning I read Ezekiel 31, 32, 33, 34, 35, and 36. Good for you. Oh, those are heavy-duty chapters. Yes, especially Ezekiel 34 when uh, the prophecy is directed towards pastors. Uh-huh. It's powerful. Denise, what are you reading? I'm in Matthew chapter 10. Well, I'm in the book of Job. Job is not my favorite book. But I'm really learning a lot this time from reading the book of Job. You know, Job had a lot of bad thinking about God. A lot of bad things came out of his mouth. I recently read Job, and I learned something when I read Job. Uh, I'm also, I guess we're all in the Old Testament. I guess so. Except for Mom. Mom, what did you say you were reading? Matthew 10. (laughs) That's the New Testament. Okay, so we're all in the Old Testament, and I'm reading, I'm using a... uh, Bible reading plan, and I usually read through the Bible once in a year. Uh, it's a decision I made probably about five or six years ago, and I've been been faced with that decision. <clears throat> and when I was reading Job, and he says God takes, uh, God gives, and God takes away. There's a song that people sing, and says God gives and God takes away. Well, that's not the words of a prophet. That's not the words of Jesus. That's not the words of an apostle. That's the words of a man. It's his own personal opinion about <clears throat> God. And it's so important when you read Job to understand that you're reading into the very first mm. understandings that people had about God as a divinity. And a lot of them were wrong. The book of Job is basically a man's struggle to understand. And he makes a lot of comments that people quote like it's the word of God, but in fact, it's the word of Job. It's the word of Job. And it really shows the struggle of man to try to understand things. But there's a lot of misconceptions about God in the book of Job. So you have to read the book of Job very careful. And when you hear hear somebody really teaching something authoritatively and using the book of Job as their foundation, well, be a little leery of that because it's really hard to use the book of Job as the foundation of anything. It's just early thinking about God. A lot of it was wrong. A few things were right. But if you study, Job really had a lot of really misconstrued ideas about God. And he made a lot of, lot of mistakes with his lips. You know, he claimed to be very pure with his lips, 
But if I was reading today that over and over Job says, I'm going to speak out of the bitterness of my soul. Well, you know, anytime you speak out of the bitterness of your soul, you are going to get in trouble. He just opened the door for terrible things to happen. The good news is, when you come to the end of the book of Job, God redeemed the whole situation. And that's what God wants to do for you. He can redeem anything, even if you have said things you shouldn't have said, thought things you shouldn't have thought. God is such a redeemer. If you'll get it right, God will just mightily bless you in the end. Isn't that good? It's so good. And can I say one wonderful thing that Job, it's in the book of Job. I know my redeemer liveth. Yes. Yes, it's the first mention of the resurrection. Isn't that amazing? The book of Job is an <laughs> interesting book. But hey, if you need prayer, we're here for you. After this little talk, you might say, hey, I want to call and ask a question. Well, you can call us or you can send us an email. We would love to hear from you and to pray for you. Tonight, we're going to look at two symbols. We're going to look at the Holy Spirit in Scripture as oil and the Holy Spirit as dew. These are very powerful. But if you want the free download, there's a study guide that goes with it. Just go to renner.org. You can download it right now. It is jam-packed. You will love it. And you can go through it every night with us. You can just download it right now. It's free. But we're offering also the whole series, which is called Symbols of the Holy Spirit. It's 10 parts. It comes in multiple formats. And we're offering my books. One is called Why We Need the Gifts of the Holy Spirit. And the other one is called The Holy Spirit and You Working Together as Heaven's Dynamic Duo. That's us. Amen. Are you guys ready? Ready. All right, tonight we're going to look at two symbols of the Holy Spirit, and we're going to begin in Genesis chapter 28. Now, I told you last night that there is the law of first mention. And when something is mentioned for the first time in the Bible, always pay attention to it. Well, when you come to Genesis chapter 28, we find the Holy Spirit symbolically depicted as oil for the very first time. So let's look at it. Genesis Chapter 28, verses 18 and 19 is talking about Jacob. It says, And Jacob rose up early in the morning and took the stone that he had put for his pillow and set it up for a pillar and did what? Poured oil, oil out on top of it. And he called the name of that place Bethel. Does anybody know what the word Bethel means? House of God. House of God. He had experienced the presence of God in that place. And to symbolize the presence of God in that place, he poured oil on that stone. And that is the first time in Scripture oil ever depicts the presence of God or the presence of the Holy Spirit. But when you look at the whole Old Testament and New Testament, you find that there were eight ways that oil was used to depict the movement or the presence or the activity of the Holy Spirit. Number one is for the consecration of priests. Mm -hmm. The consecration of priests. Now, we're covering a lot of material tonight. You can get in the free download. Just go to render.org, download Symbols of the Holy Spirit Study Guide. But number one, oil was used for the consecration of priests. You can read about that in Exodus 30, Leviticus chapter 4, Numbers chapter 3. When priests were consecrated into the ministry, they were anointed with oil because oil was symbolic of the Holy Spirit. Number two, oil was used for the consecration of kings. Kings. You can read about that. 1 Samuel 10, 1 Samuel 15, 1 Samuel 16, 2 Samuel 2, 2 Samuel 7, 
1 Kings chapter 1, where we find the anointing of oil was required to consecrate God's choice for whoever was to be the king. When that oil came, it meant the presence of God had come. We also find this in 1 Samuel 16 and verse 13, where we're told that they anointed David, and when they anointed David, the Holy Spirit came upon him. Oil is symbolic of the Holy Spirit. Then number three, the Messiah is called the anointed one, the anointed one. Well, that refers to the oil of the Holy Spirit. We read that in Psalm 2, verse 2, where the Messiah is called the anointed one. And it tells us that Jesus is anointed. And we know that also because of Acts 10, verse 38, which says how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and power. That word anointed is really a form of the word creo. The word creo means to anoint with the hand. Now let me tell you something about the word anointing. If you ask most people what does the word anointing mean, they're going to give you a sundry of responses. Let's say the anointing. Well, let's see, the anointing, I, I just, I can feel it. The anointing. Just sense, uh, just sense something. They're going to use really obtruse ways to describe the anointing. For example, if somebody sings a fabulous song like your mother, somebody will say, oh, I felt such an anointing. What do they mean by that? What does that mean? Or if they're in a great church service, they say, oh, it's so anointed. Ask them to tell you what that means. They have a hard time putting it into words what it means. But the word creo means to anoint somebody with your hand. So when you anointed somebody, here's how you did it. You didn't usually just take a bottle of oil and just pour it on somebody. First, you poured it on your own hands. That's the word creo. It's really the word for the hand. Then when your hand was covered with oil, you would turn it over and you would apply the oil to someone or you would apply it to some object. The oil was applied with hands. So when you talk about the anointing of God, you're really talking about what I call a hands-on experience. When God himself lays his hand on you in a special way, and God literally presses the oil of the Spirit into you, into an object, into a place, into an event. So if somebody sings a song and you say, wow, it was so anointed, you really mean, wow, God's hand was really on that song. And God's hand, which brings the presence of God, is what makes it different from other songs. Or if you say, wow, that service was so anointed, you're really saying, wow, God's hand was on our service in, in an exceptional way today that made it different from other services. If you declare someone is anointed or a place is anointed or a thing is anointed, you're saying God's hand was really there. Well, isn't that amazing? So, when the Bible says God anointed Jesus of Nazareth, it means God put his hand on Jesus, and as a result, he was anointed. God pressed the oil of the Spirit into Jesus, and by the way, God does the same thing for us. Let's go on. Number four, oil symbolizes the filling and empowering of the Holy Spirit. Where is that in Scripture? Well, it's in 1 Samuel 16. Zechariah 4, Matthew 25, Acts 1, 8, Galatians chapter 5, Ephesians 
chapter 5, where we read about the infilling of the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit, like oil, fills us. He comes upon us, and we are empowered for service. All of that is in this symbol of oil. Number five, Jesus was anointed with the Holy Spirit. Jesus himself said that in Luke chapter 4, verses 18 to 19. Jesus said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Upon me. What did he say next? Because he has anointed anointed me. That word anointed is this word creo. In context, it's exactly what I just said to you. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has put his hand upon me. And when he put his hand upon me, it applied the anointing to my life. Jesus understood God's hand was on him. God's hand is on us. God's hand is on you. And when God's hand comes in a special way, it imparts a special oil of the Holy Spirit. Is this encouraging, guys? Yes, it is. Number six, God anoints believers, just general believers, with the oil of the Holy Spirit. We read this in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, 1 John chapter 2. For example, in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 21, Paul writes, Now he which established us with you in Christ and hath anointed us is God. It means every believer is anointed with the oil of the Holy Spirit. Wow. But let's go to number seven. Number seven, we find that oil symbolically portrays the healing work of the Holy Spirit. Oil. Where do we read that? James chapter 5, verses 14 to 15. Listen to this. It says, Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church. Let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up. And if he committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. Now, oil is not magic. Oil does not heal. But oil represents the presence of God. It represents the work of the Holy Spirit. So when you anoint somebody with oil, you really are bringing the Holy Spirit into that situation. And we're commanded to do that. If you need somebody to pray for you, and maybe you can't get to a meeting to be prayed for, then call for them to come to you. By the way, when the Bible says, is any sick among you, let him call for the elders of the church, guess what? That word sick is really the word for bedfast. Normally you would go to church to be prayed for. But if you're so sick you can't get there, then here you have the opportunity to call for the church to come to you. Mm. This means you're not supposed to anoint everybody with oil in the name of the Lord, but it's people that can't get to church where the presence of God is working, then you bring the presence of God to them and you anoint them with oil. Isn't that nice? That's so good. And Rick, I, I just want to point out that it says to call the elders of the church. And sometimes I know that people just sit home and they start getting sick and then they just start feeling sorry for themselves and then they think nobody cares. That's not the will of God. The will of God is call the elders of the church, and ask them to come. I thought this is very instructional. Praise God. Paul, any comments? I'm just so grateful that you're going through these. I enjoy this. Good. Joel? Well, I'm wondering in today's, maybe, maybe we can talk about this later, but where do we use oil now? Well, we don't use oil like they did in the Old Testament, but today we use oil actually in some of the same ways. They used it very regularly in the Old Testament. It's called the holy anointing oil. In the Old Testament, they used oil to consecrate places. They used oil to consecrate things. 
priests, kings. It was used to depict the presence of God coming into a situation. Today, we use oil to pray for the sick. When we dedicated our building in Moscow, we anointed the whole building with oil because oil represents the presence of the Holy Spirit as a consecrating act. So people still use oil, and it's all right. You can use oil to consecrate your house. When you put oil on your house and pray over it in the name of the Lord, you're inviting the presence of the Holy Spirit in a special way. Oil depicts the presence of the Holy Spirit. But let's go to number eight. The eighth thing that oil represents is the teaching ministry of the Holy Spirit. In 1 John 2, 27, John writes, But the anointing, there we have it. It's this word creo, it's talking about the anointing, the oil of the Holy Spirit. The anointing which you have received of him, that means we have it, abides in you. That means it doesn't come and go, it abides. And you have not need that any man teach you, but as the same anointing, there it is again, teaches you all things and is truth and is no lie, even as it has taught you, it shall abide, you shall abide in him. Which means if you can't find somebody to teach you the Bible, the Holy Spirit can teach you the Bible. The Holy Spirit is in you. You have an anointing in you. You have an oil of the Holy Spirit, a deposit that will open the scriptures to you. Now, when you look at all this together, you find that in the Old and the New Testament, oil is used to depict the Holy Spirit to hundred times at least. Wow. That's significant, guys. Wow. Two hundred times at least. In the Old and the New together? In the Old and the New Testament together, it depicts the work of the Holy Spirit. So this is a very important symbol of the Holy Spirit. But let's move to the next one tonight. Are you ready? Mm-hmm. Are you ready? Ready. Do. Everybody say do. Do. What do I mean by do? I mean like the do that shows up on your grass every morning. That is a symbol of the Holy Spirit. You say, where in the world do you find that? Well, you marvelously find it in Psalm 133. So turn to Psalm 133. Mm. Oh, I love this verse, guys. And in Psalm 133, the Bible says, Behold. Oh, when something says behold, pay attention. Behold how good and pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It is like the precious ointment. There you have the first symbol of the Holy Spirit. Oil. The oil. It is like the precious ointment upon the head that ran down the beard, even Aaron's beard, that went down to the skirts of his garment. It's talking about when Aaron was anointed. And when Aaron was anointed, it started on his head. It flowed down, dripped down his beard, down onto his clothes. He ended up standing in a puddle of anointing. And really here we have a picture of the body of Christ. Jesus is the anointed one. And Jesus' anointing comes on us. It's God's will for the church to be standing in a puddle of the anointing. Is that powerful? Wonderful. But look at the next part of the verse. It says, It is as the dew of Hermon, as the dew that descendeth upon the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord commandeth a blessing, even life for." evermore. In Psalm 133, David is describing the Holy Spirit. He describes the Holy Spirit as oil, and he describes the Holy Spirit as dew. Now, what does dew have to do with the Holy Spirit, and why would this be used as a symbol of the Holy Spirit? Well, what is dew? Water. Water. It is a manifestation of water. 
cold and hot comes together and on something all of a sudden droplets of water show up okay before the droplets of water show up where is that due the moisture's in the air it's in the air but you can't see it mm -hmm. but when the right atmospheric conditions are met what is invisible becomes visible becomes visible isn't that amazing it's called the dew point that's what it's literally called and it's when those atmospheric conditions become right, when conditions are correctly met, suddenly all the moisture that is in the air that you cannot see, it manifests. And when it manifests as dew, what does dew touch? It touches everything, and it's like rain. If there's dew, then everything is watered. So when the dew shows up in the morning, it doesn't just touch a few things, every blade of grass, all surfaces. All surfaces. If you've got lawn furniture, your lawn furniture is going to be covered with dew. Your car will be covered with dew. If your kids have left their toys in the yard, the toys in the yard will be covered with dew. When that invisible moisture suddenly manifests, everything is covered with dew. This is very important because it tells us that there is a point when the supernatural presence of God that you cannot see suddenly manifests. And when it manifests, it manifests as a corporate anointing and everybody and everything at one time all gets touched simultaneously. Mm. Now we all like to be individually touched, but I'm telling you there's something special about a corporate anointing. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. When you're in a worship service, you can feel the presence of God and suddenly it just breaks out everywhere. Everyone in the place is touched. Do you want to be in a service like that? Pray for that. You can do that. Well, what are the atmospheric conditions which cause that to happen? Well, the verse tells us how good and pleasant it is when brethren dwell together in Unity. Unity. And that particular psalm was written when Israel was united into one country under David. Because Israel was two separate countries, but when two separate countries that were actually at war with each other united into one country, he said, how good is it for brothers to be together? So it's a reconciliation point. You know, it's what you find in Acts chapter 2. Unity. Unity. Harmony. It says when they were in one place and one court accord suddenly that's what takes place you know i really believe denise this is what we used to experience when we went to a few katherine kuhlman meetings because when you came into those katherine kuhlman meetings people from all those different religious backgrounds ay 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 baptists lutherans presbyterians catholics charismatics pentecostals nazarenes all those different backgrounds we came in there with different doctrinal beliefs. But you know what? In those Catherine Coleman meetings, which were called miracle services, you know what was really evident? Unity. We would sing the simple song, Hallelujah, Hallelujah, Hallelujah. Is there anything more simple than that? But there was such a unity of faith, such a unity for one thing. People came there for Healing. miracles and for healings. And when the people would get into that place of unity, what was in the atmosphere? It showed up like dew. Everybody got touched. Everybody got smacked by the power of God. People began to pull 
pipes and tubes out of their arms and the crippled would begin to walk and blind eyes would begin to open. It would happen just like this, wouldn't it, Denise? All over that auditorium. Why? Because we met the right atmospheric conditions for that to take place. And Psalm 133 tells us two things. Number one, Jesus is anointed just like Aaron was. And just like Aaron had that anointing that flowed down his head, down his beard, onto his garment. He ended up standing in a whole puddle of anointing. God wants us to stand in a puddle of anointing. Well, that's how much anointing we're supposed to have. And if we'll just get in unity, that anointing that is with us that you can't always see, it's, it's there all the time. When you get into unity, boom, that do moment comes, the do point and the power of God that is invisible to the eye will suddenly become visible as it begins to manifest everybody in the place. Any comments? Well, not very long ago, I was online with uh, about 50 women, and we were praying together and worshiping together, and we got in such a place. Now, nobody was praying for healing, but in that place... There was such a unity online. Can you imagine that two women who had headaches so bad that they were just there by faith? They were absolutely in misery to even come online. And as that dew point came, two women, I know for sure, their, their headaches were absolutely better. And another woman in a hospital who had a high temperature her temperature, she was waiting for medicine to bring her temperature down. And when we were praying, she was with us online. Her temperature just went down and has stayed down. And that's that power, that power of unity you're talking about. Really. I think it's important to also say, however, that if you're in disunity or if you're in strife, there will not be a supernatural manifestation. Mm -hmm. Strife is an anointing blocker. Mm -hmm. If you have strife in your home, it'll block the anointing. If you've got strife and disunity in your church, it's an anointing blocker. But when people finally lay everything down and they just get in unity, mm -hmm. you say, I don't know what we can get in unity about. We'll find something. There's something you can get in unity about. Quit talking about your disagreements and start talking about what you agree about. You can find something to revolve around that will bring you into a place of unity and when you get in that place, Psalm 133 promises that like the dew of Hermon that descends, the anointing of God will descend. God's just waiting for people to get in unity. I've jokingly said this about Acts chapter 1. In Acts chapter 1, those disciples are in the upper room praying, waiting for the moving of the Holy Spirit. My goodness. There were so many personalities in that room, mm -hmm. all locked up together in one room. I can imagine there were disagreements. Waiting. They oh. didn't know how long they would be waiting. Tired. In obedience. Irritated. Peter and John, who had differing opinions about things. But when you come to chapter 2, it says suddenly. And I have always said that God saw that a brief moment came when everybody got in unity, and God said, suddenly, we've got to move fast. We don't know how long they're going to stay in agreement. But the moment they got in agreement, bam, that's when the dew of heaven manifested in the upper room. God's just waiting for us to get into unity. Guys, we're out of time. This has been good.
that when we come back tomorrow night, we're going to see the next three symbols of the Holy Spirit, which are, you ready? Rain, the word river, and water. It's going to be really good. But if you need prayer, please contact us, prayer at renner.org, or call us 1-800-742-5593. Sleep well. We'll see you tomorrow night. If you enjoyed this teaching, please subscribe, like, and comment so more people can see it.